0: Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Serenity Caldwell. Hey.
1: Hi. How's it going, Stephen?
0: It's good. We're back. We have a bunch of questions. I had lunch. It's a pretty good afternoon so far. Pretty good.
1: Yeah, lunch always makes uh, an afternoon swell. Uh, but you know what else makes an afternoon swell? Lots of questions.
0: Lots of questions. Uh, so we got, we got a bunch. We're going to dive right in. Uh, Michael asked, do apps like Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram remove EXIF data when a photo is uploaded? So we should talk about EXIF data probably first. This is data that is assigned by your camera to a photo. And you can inspect this in a bunch of different apps. But EXIF data, it can include different types of things. So it can include copyright information. It can include uh, rotation of the camera so it knows which way is up in the photo. But I think the heart of Michael's question and what we're going to really talk about is location data. So if I take a picture with my iPhone and I'm, I'm in my house, then that EXIF data has the GPS information for my house. And I obviously don't want to share that with the internet. And so I want to no. make sure that GPS information is removed from the photo before I publish it. And I think that's what he's getting at, you know, this privacy angle with EXIF data.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's a great question because quite honestly, uh, like you said, Stephen, some some locations are not too bad, right? If I'm at Disneyland, I don't necessarily mind that sure, um, that Instagram wants to say that I'm at Disneyland, but I also don't want Instagram posting my house. and uh, a couple if anybody was on Instagram, Facebook, and the like, a couple years back, uh, Instagram received kind of some heat for its photo map feature. Uh, where if you didn't turn off location, um, it would show a photo map of all of the pictures that you'd taken, uh, including any pictures in your house. Uh, so uh, so it's a valid yeah, it's a valid question. Um, social media apps have not always been good neighbors uh, in this in this arena.
0: Yeah I think at least the big players now, they make some pretty reasonable trade-offs, I think. So if I take a picture, in Instagram, and I want to upload it. As anyone has anyone seen the same in, in Facebook and others? It will provide locations based on where the photo was taken. I can say yes, I am at Disneyland, like to use your example, or I can say no, I don't want a location there. But once the image is actually uploaded, the copy of the image on Instagram server. So if someone goes to the website and downloads it it does not have location data attached to it. The location data is just used for you to pick a place on the map, and then and then it's discarded. So Facebook and Instagram both work this way. It, it uses the data to be helpful as a user feature, but if someone wants that image you know, on their own local hard drive or device, they're not going to know the GPS coordinates where that photo was taken.
1: So Stephen, if I were to look at your Instagram account, for instance, and see that you posted a picture of your son, for instance, and I was going to try and download that to my computer, Uh, I would not be able to tell where that picture was taken if I tried to open it up and look at the XF data, correct?
0: That is correct. Uh, That's how both Facebook and Instagram do it. All these companies have support pages and privacy policies. Some of them are a little hard to read. Uh, for our research, we read those things, and then I actually just went around and tried it in a bunch of services to see if I could open it and see where, see where it was. <laughs> Twitter works basically the same way. Twitter did not always work this way, uh, and with Twitter, you, you have the the extra layer that the the application, or if you use a third party app like Tweetbot or Twitterific on on the iPhone, or uh, some, you know like uh, Falcon Pro or something on Android, those apps can use Mm -hmm. your location to pin a location to the tweet itself so sort of separate from what the photo is doing but twitter does strip location data from photos that you upload if you're using their native uploader if you're using something like dropler like iuser or or another service uh you need to look into those but twitter itself and its first party app no location data in photos but still be mindful that your location may be public on the tweet itself
1: yeah and uh something to note about this is that you know, you shouldn't put the service like you shouldn't put your privacy in the hands of the services. Uh, if you're worried about your location data being published on a on a photo, you should go like it, it is your right to be able to proactively take care of this. And it's not necessarily the most fun thing in the world being like, great, do I have to wear a tinfoil hat while I do this too? Uh, but but there are actually some apps that make it really, really easy to strip location data in advance. So if you're concerned that you know, uh, you're know you using a service that you can't necessarily find uh, a good, uh, good privacy policy on, or if you're using a service that you just don't know, uh, you can always be safe rather than sorry and, and use either a couple of great Mac apps or a couple of great iOS apps to do so. And Stephen, I believe you said you you looked into some of those, right? Uh, some some good ones for our listeners? Yeah,
0: there, there are several. So if you're on the Mac, just the built-in preview application can do this. I wrote a little how-to. It'll be in the show notes. It's very easy. You go into it and you tell it to remove uh, location information. If you have a picture in the Photos app on the Mac, Photos has a setting for this to either include or exclude location data from photos that exports. So if I take a photo and drag it to my desktop to upload to Facebook or something. uh, Photos itself, I can tell it, do I want location data to be associated or not? It's very easy to toggle it on and off. Uh, You can do it in Windows as well. There are some good options there. The... Uh, Windows Explorer has uh, a properties field. It, it actually looks a lot like what Preview shows in the inspector, where I can, you can just go into Windows and say, hey, remove location data from you know this particular photo. And there is a uh, iOS app uh, called Metapho. It's free with an in-app purchase to do this. It has a, a, an action extension, so you can do it just from an extension itself, which is really nice. Um, and there are several on Android as well. And like you said, it's important because you don't always know what's going on. Like I tried looking into what Snapchat does, and that was just like uh, 30 minutes of my life I won't get back. You know, Snapchat is very similar to Twitter or Instagram that you can add a location to something, but since there's no web interface for Snapchat, it's sort of tricky to like download something from Snapchat. And if you just take a screenshot, obviously it's not going to have it in there. Um, But at the same time, they have a new map feature, like the Instagram one you mentioned a couple minutes ago. That they're under a lot of fire for currently for some privacy implications around that. So I think if it's something you worry about, and I think you should worry about it, definitely check out some of these ways uh, to take care of it. All, the, all of them will be in the show notes. Because like you said, better, better safe than sorry, you know? especially if you're you know, photographing family members or you know, something of value or something you want to keep private. It can be uh, an easy thing to take care of just for a little peace of mind.
1: One of the last things I want to mention on this topic, um, and I've heard this from a couple people, is just like, all right, so you can strip exif data and things like that. um, But when you're posting photos on social media, like what is too much or too little to post, you know, like this is it's a question when we're sharing we want to share our daily lives with people. Um, what kind of social content should we post? Um, and how is the best way to kind of protect yourself when you're posting social media, videography and photography? Um, and that's like, that could be a whole nother rabbit hole of a question in of itself, uh, which we won't go down too deep right now. Um, but what I will say is, um, a very easy way to protect yourself, um, when you're posting photos on social media is to ask yourself what the audience for these photos are. Um, And if the audience is really like, if you're posting a photo because you want your grandmother to see it or something like that, it might be a photo better suited for something like iCloud photo library than for Instagram. Um, So thinking about your audience and then also um, as much fun as it is to kind of show what you're doing in the moment, um, and, you know, to, to take away the FOMO or, or I guess increase the FOMO of people looking at your Instagram feed. Uh, because Instagram is now no longer sequential and stories and everything else, uh, it's not really super important that you post a photo the minute that you're doing it. Um, and if you're especially concerned, um, if you're in an instance, for, for example, where you don't necessarily want to post something while you're at the place because there's a chance someone might see you there and might try and join you or might try and, like, say hi. Um, if you don't want that, you can always just post your photo later. And I honestly kind of recommend that anyway because that way you get to enjoy the experience, right? You, you take the photo and then you enjoy the experience with your friends or with yourself. <laughs> and then you could brag about it on social media if you really want to.
0: Hashtag Latergram. Hashtag Latergram. If you want to submit questions to the show, you can use the hashtag AskQuery on Twitter, and we will see it. Uh, We take questions on any tech topic, not just Apple stuff, uh, not just Windows stuff, uh, the whole thing. Um, If you have burning Linux questions, ask us, and we'll do some homework. Uh, You can also follow the show at QueryShow on Twitter. So I think it's time for question number two. uh, What's Neil up to?
1: Oh, man. So Neil has a... Fantastic question um, that we're gonna dive into. And that is what is the state of family sharing in Apple Land? My wife and I both have Apple IDs, Apple music subscriptions, etc., uh, from before we met. Uh and while Neil doesn't say it implicitly in his tweet, I'm assuming that the end result question is, (laughs) what's going to happen if we try and merge these? Uh can we merge these? Are we gonna get into a heap of trouble? Uh, So uh, to answer that question, we should probably explain what family sharing is and what it is not. Uh, Family sharing is Apple's basically uh, branded way of organizing content among up to six members of uh, your family. And that could be your actual blood relatives family or that could just be, you know, up to six people who are in your, your digital family, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I should note that it is limited to six people, which means you can't like you and your 30 friends in college can't uh, <laughs> can't have a, a family <laughs> subscription. That's not going to work.
0: The dorm dorm room subscription.
1: <laughs> yeah. Dorm subscription. Um, and the other thing to note there is that uh, you can only set up and delete up to two family sharing groups a year. Uh, so and then if you delete that second one, you won't be able to make a new family sharing account for another year. So uh, so, you know, if you're going to make a family sharing account, it's kind of something that you're you're like, these are the people I want to go in on uh, on accounts. Um, And so the way uh, the things that it shares, uh, you've got your iTunes account first and foremost. So family sharing, I think the biggest keynote feature of it is that um, for any movies, TV shows, apps that allow it, which is pretty much most of them on the store, uh, you use one Apple ID attached to one credit card to buy all of these things, and anybody in your family group can use them or download them or have them on their phone. Uh, So it's basically like getting to have a miniature site license for up to six you know, copies of an app or movies or television shows, uh, what have you. In addition to that, family sharing allows you to, of course, share your Apple Music uh, subscription. So even though you guys will, you know, your family members will have separate uh Apple Music IDs and separate profiles you'll still be able to pay the 114.99 a month for up to 6 subscriptions which is a really good deal uh if you have if you have folks in your in your family um and then also you'll get you can have a specific photo album for uh, iCloud photos as well as a shared calendar a shared reminders list uh, these are all you know extra features some people use all of them some people use not too many of them let's talk about what family sharing isn't uh, which is number one you have to use one credit card uh, so when you sign up you basically have your master whoever decides to be the head of the household. Um, their credit card becomes or their you know whatever they've set up for for their Apple ID, that becomes the master account for anybody's Apple purchase Apple ID purchases in this family. Um, and consequently, if you ever leave the family, uh, you won't be able to take any of the those purchases because they're technically under that head of household right. credit card yeah. uh, So it's again, going back to my previous comments, it's like it's kind of important. That uh, you go in on family sharing with people who you're kind of planning to to hang out with for a while. Uh <laughs> she,
0: she, yeah. she broke up with me and took all my apps. It was a sad story. <laughs> one one thing, one one feature I really like about family sharing is ask to buy. So if you have mm. kids in your family sharing uh, group, they can't just go off and spend a bunch of money on the app store. That was a big story for years and years, right? That little Timmy racked up $200 on the MasterCard because he bought a bunch of in-app purchases. And now you can set it up where Timmy can't do that, but instead you as a parent get a push notification saying, hey, Timmy wants to purchase this and you can approve it or turn it down. And it sort of automates that flow where these – the kid users don't have you know full control, but they still have some freedom to kind of do what they want, and you're just limiting and monitoring what they're doing, which I think is a pretty, a pretty nice way of doing it as a parent with you know kid iPads running around the house now.
1: Absolutely, kid iPads, and even later, um, that's that features up to anybody under the age of eighteen. So if you have teenagers running around with their own phone. Um, It allows them, again, to not have to run to their parents anytime they want to buy an app or that you, you know, giving away your password so that your teenager can can buy an app. Instead, you just get a nice little push notification, which is really great.
0: But don't make fake kids. Don't do that.
1: Don't make fake kids. Oh, yeah. So this is my my sad story. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So when I was testing family sharing a few years back for iMore, um, there are two. There are three technically three types of accounts in family sharing. There's the head of household account, which is the person who creates the family sharing group. There are full adult accounts, and that's basically an existing Apple ID. So if I wanted to be part of Stephen's family sharing group, for instance, Stephen's the head of household, and then he'd just send me an invite, and I'd join him as a, as a member with my current Apple ID. And I'd keep my current Apple ID email, and I'd keep all of my Apple Music purchase or my Apple music like likes and dislikes, I would just now be part of his family. Um, so those are kind of like the adult accounts. Uh, but then there are kid accounts. And kid accounts are not autonomous. So kid accounts are not you know already existing. They're accounts that you basically have to create when you create the, the family. Uh, and as a result, uh, they're not deletable, <laughs> which is the ridiculous thing. So I'm yeah. testing this. Um and I'm like, oh, I should test out what a kid account can and cannot do. And I made myself a kid, and I of all of all the things, I called it Test Caldwell. Um
0: it ro- rolls right off the tongue, really.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good old test. Oh. Age six. Uh yeah, I gave I gave this like an arbitrary birthday under the age of eighteen and an arbitrary name because I was like, oh, it'll only be on my phone for ten minutes wrong oh so test little testy caldwell um is stuck on my phone until he ages up to 18 years old <laughs> there's there is currently no way to get rid of a child oh. once you add them to your account so that's um so perfect on that note yeah there's that's that's something that i i kind of wish apple would fix because yeah there's the the, wow. the silly aspect there's the i have a test child that i'll never be able to get rid of on my account but i also feel for people who you know might uh might have created a child on their family sharing account and then either maybe that that child you know there there are all sorts of reasons why you might no longer have a child account uh in your family sharing and i feel like that's kind of a, a horrible reminder for people Um, And so the the one I guess the one way that you sort of can is I think you can dismiss the entire family group um, and that that might do it. I can't I can't remember at the time. I feel like there was some there was some like thing preventing me from doing it a couple of years back. Uh, But just, you know, the, the short answer is don't make fake children. And the long answer is, dear Apple, please provide me a way to delete my fake child.
0: So this has me thinking about my setup. Uh, My wife and I, very much like like Neil's question, had separate Apple IDs for purchasing. And and at the time, it was .Mac and and all this stuff. And how we operate now is my old Apple ID has become the one we sign into to the store. So we purchase apps and media under that account. And then we each have iCloud accounts separate from that for our iCloud stuff, you know, syncing and backups and, and all of that. And iOS and Mac OS allow you to sign into a separate Apple ID into iCloud than the store, which is really nice. So my system, which lots of people use, can still work, but I keep feeling the urge to to revisit that and and figure out my path to to something a little more like this. Because you know my kids are getting older, and and apparently serenity's in my house now, and you know I, I need some <laughs> some some more tools at my disposal for my Apple IDs. So I think the big picture is Neil. It's come a long way. It's a lot better than it was. There's still some things Apple needs to do, but I think all in all, it's much, a be- much better solution than what we had before.
1: Yeah, uh, I I think what Stephen says is absolutely true. Well, you can use two different accounts. Uh, it's much more preferable at this point uh, to create a family sharing account. Uh, you will be able to kind of you'll be able to keep your separate IDs from the perspective of, you know, your Apple Music subscriptions. You'll keep your separate taste preferences, even if one of you becomes the head of household um, and switches over to the Apple Music subscription. You'll still have your profiles. Uh, you'll still have all of your e- your individual apps that you bought and purchased before you guys uh turned your stuff into a family sharing subscription. Uh, you'll just in addition have access to each other's libraries, which can be kind of very useful. Uh, same thing goes for movies and music. Um, and yeah, I I feel like especially with iOS 11 coming up uh, where Apple is set to introduce iCloud sharing, which heretofore before that uh, you weren't actually able to share your iCloud storage. iCloud storage was still considered a separate thing Uh, So you'd still have to, you know, uh, if you wanted five gigabytes, you could have it for free. But if one of you wanted, you know, 50 gigabytes and one of you wanted 500 gigabytes, you'd have to pay separate monthly plans for that. Um, And as of iOS 11, it looks like you might be able to pay for a single, you know, one terabyte or two terabyte of storage to share amongst your entire family group. And that that should actually be really, really great. Um, And... I don't think we've mentioned iCloud Photos really other than there's a sharing album, but it also does keep your photos libraries separate. So if you both have access to iCloud Photo Library, you will have two separate iCloud Photo Libraries. You'll just have a single shared album um, that you can both contribute to. So yeah, I I use this with my fiance and I find it works really, really well. I'm pretty happy with it Uh, and hopefully it will work out for you.
0: All right, it is time for the speed run. We're going to start with Max. How do you clean your AirPods and their case?
1: Oh, man, Uh, this is a great question. And uh, my pal, Micah Sargent, who I happen to work with at Imore, wrote an incredible explainer on how to clean your AirPods and your case and keep them clean, keep them from getting gunked up. Because, yeah, as great as in-ear earbuds are, they can get really earwaxy really quickly. And a white case... While it looks very cool and very futuristic, can yeah gather some dirt and some dust and some (laughs) gross things. Uh, Fun fact: When I got my fiance a pair of AirPods, uh, we literally to tell the difference between whose AirPods were mine and whose AirPods were his. I would just flick open the AirPods and I'd be like, "Oh, they're dirty. They're Ricky's." (laughs) Sorry, Rick. (laughs) Fun story. Anyway, yeah.
0: No, I'm just going to think about his ears all the time now. Thanks for that.
1: <laughs> large, large ears, large ears. Uh, so Richard asks, why Spotlight on his Mac has stopped searching his application folder?
0: So there, there could be a couple things here. First, a restart is always helpful. But Spotlight's uh, search index may be broken somehow, and you can force a re-index by adding a folder to Spotlight's exclusion list. So in System Preferences, you can tell Spotlight, don't look in this folder. So if you have something you don't want immediately accessible. So what you can do, you can add a folder to that, quiz System Preferences, maybe log out or restart just for good measure, and then take that list back out. And what that will do is that will trigger Spotlight to say, oh, look, I have this folder available to me. I should re-index it. And uh, most of the time, if I've come across this, that trick, the System Preferences trick, will clear it up, and you should be good to go. Edward has it we're ending on a non-tech question.
1: Ooh, uh, a non
0: uh you you're spending your summer in Canada I believe and I believe you have dual citizenship so which country feels more like home?
1: Oh man, isn't that like choosing between kids? I feel like that's uh, that's
0: Well, unless one of your kids is is, is named Test. <laughs> you know, I guess so.
1: Yeah, well, I you know, we we all know that Test has no love in my heart. <laughs> um <laughs> oh. To be honest, um as somebody who, you know, grew up in the states and also spent quite a bit of time in canada with my relatives i feel like each has a very special place in my heart i know that's like maybe a cop out but um canada (laughs) canada to me uh is the place that i have always kind of felt like is my my heart and the u.s is kind of my my home my brain um where i I feel like whenever i want to go and, and be back to peace with myself and and really understand who I am at my core and and you know why why I do what I do I end up going to Canada um, partially oh god there's there's so many wonderful things I can say about Canada um, but in in truth I think the the way that I was raised when I was here uh, in my summers growing up uh, really, imprinted kind of certain values on me, um, that I don't think are emphasized as heavily in the States. Um, certainly individually on an individual level, sure, but maybe not so much in a, in a global scale. Um, and I really believe in, you know, taking care of people and forming, you know, solid friendships and, and being, being good to your neighbors and good to your, good to your friends and good to, you know, even the strangers, even no, however, however much, uh, you you may not know if they need it or not. So uh yeah, I, I it's it's hard for me to say definitively like this person this place feels like home. Um but when I when I want to feel true to myself, I wanna be in Canada because Canada is my is my true my true self's home and the US is the the place where I feel like I can um take what's you know, what's good about my core and move forward, I guess. Ah, man, this got really philosophical.
0: That does it for Query Episode 3. Thank you for listening. You can find our show notes with links to all the stuff we've been talking about at relay.fm slash query slash 3. To submit questions, please tweet with the hashtag AskQuery and we will see it. In the meantime, you can find Serenity on Twitter at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, and find her writing at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write at 512pixels.net. Until next week, Ren, say goodbye.
1: Goodbye. Also Canadian smarties forever.
0: (laughs) Adios.